Romans 12, and we'll read from verse 4. This is the word of Christ to us. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with zeal. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good, and be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving honor to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, and contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. So we see there the body is one with many different parts and each part has its own uh, gift and role to play. Uh, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, the next letter. And we'll read from verse 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, page 1149. summarize the first 11 verses rather than reading them. Um, what Paul says in this chapter is that there are many gifts and many parts of the body. It's almost exactly the same as what he writes to the Romans. There's different gifts, different ministries, different activities. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And he says something similar to what we just read. To one is given the word of wisdom, verse 8. To another, the word of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, tongues. So he lists all these gifts that the New Testament church had. And then he tells us about the body in verse 12. So let's read some verses from verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the food says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, 
It is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any, le any the less a part of the body. So if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, uh, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So our hands and our feet are as important as our head, but we need our hands and our feet. Um, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable parts become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of this. But God so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So we have it summed up there um, in verse 27. You are the body of Christ and members individually. And at the top of our reading in um, verse 12, the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many, our one body, so also is Christ. And as we have begun to look at the, the truths of the Church of Christ, I hope we've been able to think on where the Church came from and what it's like and why it exists and how it exists. And we saw last time that Christ is the head of the Church that he rules over it, he governs over it, and supplies it. Um, he has a care for all of its needs. And uh, as the head, um, he was given all authority when he ascended uh, from this world. And we saw that he became the head and king of the church because he bought it. He died for it. So it is literally his. He, he owns it. He's paid the price to redeem that church, and he's called people into it. We see this time that the church is a body, and that's a, a great biblical uh, truth um, that will enlighten a lot of our uh, attitude to Christ and attitude to the church and our service in the church if it's rooted in the truth that God gives we may feel compelled to be part of the church and to serve the church um, and to, to give a, a portion of our time and labors to the church because we think it's the right thing to do. But do we really know um, 
why we ought to do that and what this body is and the glorious truth that God gives in his word to show us what a wonderful thing it is that there is such a thing that Paul calls the body of Christ because we've already mentioned um, before that we can call it a kingdom there's many, a family, a household there's many, thing, many ways to think about the church but the Holy Spirit tells us here that it is a body and not just our body but it's his body it's literally part of him it's part of the Lord Jesus Christ and I just want to see that uh, with you under a few headings tonight so this really concerns that it is the body of Christ and that that body is one. That body is a unity and it is to have communion with Christ, yes, but it is a, a unity that is connected to the head. It is one thing, and that's difficult for us today because there are so many different professions of churches. Each church has its own constitution, and so many churches believe different things, and we can forget this truth. But as we're here in Meadville, I'm part of the RPCNA, and um, acknowledge uh, the reality of any Bible-believing church that believes the truths of the gospel and the truths that they follow the truths of the apostles, we do confess that there, there is one body of Christ and that we are members of it, we are part of it. And we need to try and understand what that means for us. So let me try and open out, like to pull aside the curtain to see what a wonderful thing is, is that Paul has told us in Romans and 1 Corinthians. First, if the church is a body, that means it is directly connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is literally in union with him. And I'm not speaking about a concept here. I'm not speaking about something we can just think about or read in a book. But you just think about it tonight. When you come to Meadville, do you think before you come, I'm coming to meet with God's people. And what we're doing in this place and the people I'm going to be around, this body is literally connected to Christ at this very moment. And I mean that, that Christ in glory tonight, even for all our infirmities and weaknesses in our worship, and the small number of us here, the truth of Scripture is that Christ in glory tonight is actually and directly connected to us. We're not down here doing our own thing and hoping that Christ sees. But what is done spiritually in the church is literally coming from Christ. And the born-again believer meeting together with other born-again believers as the church, we are directly connected to that glorious person who is the glory of heaven right now. That the whole of heaven bows before him and worships him right now. It doesn't seem that way. Our, our hearts are dull. I would, I would probably say that most of the hearts in here tonight are dull spiritually. And we don't think about these things. And these aren't a reality for us. 
There's a way in which your body belongs to your husband. And he says to the husband, there's a way in which your body belongs to the wife. Because you are now one entity, two persons, but you are absolutely one flesh, one entity. And then he says, I speak a great mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. So you take that. The one fleshness of the husband and wife is actually just a parable of the absolute one fleshness of Christ and his church. What Adam said when he saw Eve, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's what Christ says of his church. I ascend to my Father and your Father. I ascend to my God and your God. We are one, Christ says. He's God, but he's put himself there next to us. And he says, we are now acting as one. Me and my church are the same thing. We exist for the same reason, and we do the same thing. So that's what Paul means here when he says that you are, uh, verse 27, the body of Christ, but in verse 12 that we're focusing on, you are one body, and so also is Christ. And if we are united to Christ in this way, firstly, then secondly, we are filled with the Spirit in the same way that Christ is. Verse 13, by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all have been made to drink from one Spirit. So he says Christ is head. There is a body that's been united to him in salvation. And the implication of that is that the Spirit has baptized the body, and we have drunk of the same Spirit. And we, this is what I want you to know, we receive that from Christ. Uh, when Christ ascended, brothers and sisters, when he ascended, he was filled in a new way with the Holy Spirit. He was, in his earthly ministry, he was baptized with the Spirit at 30 years of age. That's what happened at the River Jordan. That's what John the Baptist witnessed. The Spirit anointed and saturated the being and mind and soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was baptized into the Spirit. That, that's what the word Meshach means, Messiah. The one who's been anointed, baptized, he was filled with the Spirit. But in his humiliation to do what he needed to do, but when he raised and then was ascended, when he entered heaven, he, something happened to him that we call glorification. He reached his most exalted state. And that happened because of what the Spirit did to Christ. 
He's not the same now that he was when he was shrouded in his humiliation here. When he ascended, and we're going to sing this at the end of the service, he, he is anointed with the oil of gladness. And we sang it in 133, uh, like Aaron, who has the oil poured upon him, and it saturates down his garments to his church. There's a picture there of Christ being filled with the Spirit without measure. Now, he had the Holy Spirit. We know that. That's why he was able to do all the things that he did. But he does so much more now. And I just want to mention a couple of things about it before I tell you what the implication is for the church. Because we, you and I need to know our Savior. We need to have our minds open to know what he's like. Jesus' mind and his soul and even his body are exalted and glorified in a way right now that give it so much more capability than he had when he was in this earth. His, his thinking on this earth was quite limited in some ways and the spirit would give him certain revelations but he was in a state of weakness. He lived like us but without sin. But when he went to glory the Spirit filled and expanded his mind and heart and soul in a way that it never happened in his life. And you can just see that when you can study the Bible yourself. If you look at images of Christ in Revelation or Zechariah, you see him in Revelation that, uh, and Zechariah that uh, it pictures him as having seven eyes. Uh, and that, that means he can see more than he did when he was on this earth. As the exalted mediator, he sees the earth and sees a lot more of what goes on than he could have seen when he lived in Nazareth. The Spirit is revealing to an exalted mind that we can imagine, a mind that, has, that can process a lot more than we can in our state right now, and it gives it to Christ. And Christ is able to love and uh, interact with a lot of Christians from heaven. That is not something he would have done when he was on this earth. He was aware of certain things that were revealed to him, but Christ wasn't having fellowship with every Christian in Israel um, all of the time when he was here. But there's a way in which he can do that now through the Spirit and his body. His body's been exalted. It doesn't, it doesn't decay. It exists in, an, in another world. We're told that it's glorified and that, um, that a glory and a light shines from his body. Revelation tells us that. That the new heavens and earth need no light of the sun nor moon because the Lamb is the light. This happened when he was transferred, when he blessed his apostles and disappeared from their sight beyond a glory cloud. He passed into another world and the inhabitants of heaven are in awe of Christ. They look at him on the throne in his glory with the light shining from him as he opens the seven seals and governs the world with his mind and his heart. Now that's my savior. That's your Savior. If he is filled with the Spirit like that, then we need to understand that the church must be filled with the Spirit. 
And if he is, then the church ought to be. Verse 13, by one spirit we were baptized into one body, and we have been made to drink into one spirit. Jesus received that. All of his faculties were expanded, um, and he, he experienced that transformation. And then he poured out the Spirit upon the church. The great act of the king, when he was exalted, his great kingly act was to pour out the Spirit. He'd, and he did that at Pentecost. Now this is the great first act of his kingship. Fifty days after his ascension. Seven times seven weeks. Reaching the fiftieth day. And from heaven, the, the exalted, expanded king poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. That was a kingly act. He poured them out on the apostles, and they were given a boldness and an ability that they didn't have before. And the same must be true of us. If we are truly in Christ, the church needs to realize that she needs to be anointed by the Spirit. She has been baptized into the Spirit. She has been made to drink of the Spirit. And we are to have that measure of spirit from Christ that contains the power that he has. That should transform the way we think about the church. Um, that the church here in Meadville and the RPCNA, we, we need to be aware that the church on earth, the body of Christ, is to be filled with the power that Christ has. So the church is not a gathering of people, and the church is not a social club or an organization or a human organization. The church is not to be viewed as like a charity or some other organization in the town that operates in the same way and makes the same kind of decisions. That is not what the church is for. Christ said to the church, you are my witnesses, you are the light of the world. So the church is to do the work in Meadville and in Pennsylvania, the work that the head does. It directly represents him. Now you think about that. If Christ is the head and the church is the body, and they are one flesh. And the, the head has the fullness of the Spirit pouring it out upon the body. That basically means that the church is the hands and feet of Christ in the world. He's not here himself, locally. He has gone to heaven and he operates what he wants to do in the world through his church. Now you think about how high that calling is. You think about a church like the one we have here in Meadville. Do you think that the church in Meadville is carrying that out? 
Do you think that the church in Meatville truly sees itself as the hands and feet of the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords and that what he wants for lost souls, what he wants for transformation of Christians, what he wants for a light shining like a city on a hill in Meadville. Do you think that the church here sees itself that way? We have to think of the church as more uh, dignified than we usually do. We have to think of the church as having far more potential than we usually do. And the church is having far more power than we usually do. This is a day in the West of no power at all. No dynamic operation of the Spirit that is calling sinners to Christ and humbling them and transforming them. The church isn't operating as a body like that. And part of the problem is the way the church sees itself. When you see yourself as part of something great like that, it affects your whole outlook. To see us as the body of Christ. And if the head wants the gospel proclaimed in power, then we have to do that. If we don't do it, it wouldn't be done in that sense. If we don't live in holiness, then our neighbours and the people in our towns will never see what holiness truly is. If we don't carry out the work and the love of Christ, who will? This work is not human work. It is a spiritual work. And if we have been made to drink of the Holy Spirit, then we will do that work. You see how it works in the Bible. Why, why was there a church in Corinth? How is that possible? Corinth was more anti-God than Meadville is. There was a lot more reasons for a Corinthian to not believe the gospel. They believed in all the pagan gods and the prostitution and the pagan temples and all the Greek gods and all the Greek philosophies and they were very um, affluent, these people. Paul went in there and it looked impossible to Paul. He didn't know how it was going to be done. But then here it is. A church, a Corinthian church, do you know in the ancient world, if you wanted to call someone scum, the nickname you gave them was a Corinthian. We might use the word today barbarian, we'll say that person's a barbarian. That person's uncultured, that person is a moral reprobate. In the ancient world they said, you're behaving like a Corinthian. And why was that? Because that's what the Corinthians were like. Why can Paul build a church in Corinth? It's not because Paul's smart. There's only one reason that there was a church in Corinth. And it's because Paul drank of the Spirit of God. 
and he believed in the power of Christ and he spoke to the Corinthians in the power of Christ and the Corinthians believed the message and he's telling these Corinthians with all their problems they, they clearly had problems he's telling them you have to remember that and you have to believe in the power and the purity of Christ and behave that way, Corinthians, because you are the body of this Holy One of God. You are united to Him. So if we are connected to Him, and Christ was filled with the Spirit and the church ought to be filled with the Spirit, we have to make sure that we are supplied by the Spirit ourselves. When he says they are baptized into one body and they drink into one Spirit, he's saying that the Spirit must work and flow throughout the body of Christ. That's why he pictures it as a body. Um, the head tells the body what to do. The head governs the body and sends the signals to the body. But the body has an entire life system that must be working. If you're going to be able to do your job and work healthily, there's all kinds of things that must work in your body for you to be able to even walk and do things. And he's saying, as the body needs oxygen, and the body needs blood, and the body needs insulin, and all of these things, as the body needs these things, that you need the Spirit even more than that if you're going to do the work of the Lord. We can't sit back. We cannot do that in a day when there is so much lies and deception about what the gospel is, and when there is a lot of weakness in the church. We cannot sit back and say, this is the old gospel message and we believe it, and, and we'll, even if we go down with the flag in our hands, we'll have stood for the truth. That isn't the right attitude. We are missing an entire part of what it means to be a church and what it means to be a believer. If we ever think that way, a believer must know that they have a desperate need to be filled with the Spirit. A believer isn't someone that signs a card or says, I believe John 3.16, so that means I'll go to heaven. A believer is someone who works for Christ. Who they're not their own. They were bought at a price. They don't have their own body now. They're part of another body. And the believer knows that if the church is going to flourish, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the fact that it's not happening means that the church doesn't want it. The church doesn't ask for this. It doesn't. The church asks for a lot of things. It mentions a lot of things in its prayers. But the church isn't having elongated prayer meetings where people are crying out to be filled with the Spirit of God because of the desperate need of the lost all around us. That isn't happening in Reformed churches. It used to happen. It, even in my lifetime, I think it happened. I certainly know people that were part of churches where after every Sunday evening service, there was an hour-long prayer meeting and people would pray and there were often tears and cries in those prayer meetings. And in those congregations, there were people being saved every week. And I'm not talking about mega churches here. I'm talking about good old dry reformed churches. 
like ours, that people were saved. When my own mother was converted and she went to the Lord's Supper for the first time, that weekend, 19 people went to see the session to become members of that church. That's because people prayed for the Spirit of God to be at work. If we don't pray for that, if we, if we say, well, the gospel will do what the gospel will do, and people will believe if they believe, and if they don't believe, that's their own fault, and we, and we kind of remain passive and inactive and unexercised in our own lives, the Spirit dries up, and uh, God will not supply it. And Christ spoke of it this way in another place, of a vine. Not, not just a body, but a vine. And Christ didn't say, don't worry, the vine will always have its supply. He didn't say that at all. He said, watch, watch your vine. Watch your vine really closely. If you do not obey all my commandments, you do not love one another. If the, ba the branch that abides in me will bear much fruit, but if it does not bear fruit, I lift it up. And if it doesn't bear fruit, it's fit for nothing to be cast into the fire. The vine branches need to abide in the vine itself. And Christians need to abide in Christ and be baptized into the Spirit. We need to pray for that. I, I have no doubt at all that the greatest need that we have today is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not complicated. I, I would put everything else as very secondary to that greatest need of the church in the Western world. And I'm not the first person to think that. That is the need. We need an outpouring of the Spirit on the body. So, um, we are united to him. He is filled with the Spirit. We ought to be filled with the Spirit. That gives the church a power and a dignity and a mission to carry these things out, and to do it, it needs to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, the last thing is this. That body has many parts, and each part has its own function. And Paul lists them all in a great image in both of those chapters in Romans and 1 Corinthians. God's built the church that way. Christ has built it that way. Each congregation and each denomination has many people in it, and each person is different and has different tendencies and um, different ability of mind and body, um, different interests and different abilities that come naturally to them, and even then supernaturally, when God develops a gift that someone has in certain areas of their life. And they all come together as one body, and pulsing is literally like a body. Like what, what, the, the ear hears very well, and the hand can feel things very well, and the heart beats to pump the blood, um, and the feet are what you use to walk. And Paul's saying, well, if a church is really going to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and be light to the world, if it is going to do the work of heaven on earth, then all of these parts need to be there. Because if, if a congregation has no feet, the problem. If, the, if all a congregation has, has is hands and feet, but it has no eyes, problem. 
There's going to be a blindness there, a lack of understanding. If a congregation has eyes, feet, and hands, but no ears. So you see the point. He's saying Christ has bestowed in his exaltation gifts throughout his church. And each of these is necessary for the body to function. <laughs> we see how he um, had listed them in Romans, and he lists, lists some at the end of the chapter here in verse 28. He gave apostles, prophets, they're finished, teachers, so that's pastors, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and he listed others in Romans too. So, what is your gift? Um, the church needs these things. As a spiritual body, it needs spiritual gifts. Inner spiritual gifts and practical spiritual gifts. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe, maybe you're a joyful person. We should all be joyful people. Uh, maybe you ought to be encouraging others. Maybe you ought to be looking at their faith and the things they're doing in the church and encourage them in that work and say, I am very glad you're doing that. I really appreciate that you're doing that. Maybe your gift is words of love and grace. That you speak of the things of Christ and you speak of the things of the Word of God. And maybe you have a gift of thankfulness. Maybe you have a gift of joy. Maybe you have a gift of a willingness to help in any practical thing that uh, happens in the church. Maybe you have a gift to be able to help in spiritual matters in the church. Maybe you can counsel others. Maybe you have spiritual experience and you have, you have wisdom and you can speak to others in the church. Maybe you can help correct others because people go astray. People do wrong things. People have the wrong focuses. People uh, jettison and cut out parts of God's law and just leave them to the side because it's convenient. And the, the church needs to say to people, you can't do that. For we are the body of Christ. And maybe you have a gift of government. Maybe Christ has given you a great spiritual gift that we all need to have. The gift of praising him for saving us and worshipping his name. Do you have that gift? Do you praise Christ in this place and sing and pray from your heart because, what he, because of what he has done for you? There are many other I can mention, but Paul's saying these are all necessary for a healthy body, a healthy society of Christ to function. And we see in Acts that they had all of these gifts and different abilities with the men and the women, and they bound together, and they united as one in one place, and they prayed together. And the place was shaken, and the power of God came upon them, and they went out, and the gospel was successful, because they were one body, active and spiritual in all of these ways, and they prayed for God to bless them, and God did. So, um, in those ways, my, my dear brother and sister, and to myself too, we need to make sure that we, we look at ourselves and ask, what are my gifts? What can I do? How can, how can I 
plant and nourish and water these gifts in a congregation, spiritually speaking. If many of these gifts are lacking, then the body will be malnourished, just like a body that doesn't eat properly and isn't taking in the right nutrients and everything. I mean, you all will take care of your body. You're trying to, within reason, and you think about it, and if there's a problem, you immediately go to the doctor. It's an immediate, obvious concern. But how reckless and foolish the church is today about our spiritual body parts. We can be lacking in lots of these things, in love, in zeal, in prayer, in spiritual conversation, in in humility, in patience. Uh, We can lack so many things. And there's a shrug of the shoulders and say, I don't care, someone else will do that. I don't need, it, it doesn't matter. And we have this reckless spiritual attitude. Well, look at yourself and ask, What body part am I? Am I a foot or an eye? A heart or a a word of encouragement? Am Am I an arm? Am I a comfort to others? Am I all these things? Ask yourself that. It's not a good sign if the church can't feel or see or walk or work. Our church needs all of these things. So, friends, don't view this place as a place where um, you come and take a little part and then go off and do your own thing. I don't view this place as a place that we, we can wander into. Um, drop, drop a little comment here and there, drop a little bit of effort here and there, and then just leave it as though this place isn't our responsibility. The church is everything. The church is Christ on earth. The church is our family. It even takes precedent over our natural family. We were transferred from the world and adopted into a family. And this is our eternal family. And we profess to be believers in the gospel. And if we believe in the gospel, then we will lay down our lives for the kingdom of Christ. We will take up our cross and give ourselves to the work of Christ. Ask yourself, what body part am I and what am I doing? And do I bring a healthy effect on this body? Do I bring a spiritually healthy effect on this body? What if I'm a body part that is releasing bile into the church? Or a body part that is releasing cancerous cells into the church? body part that that is infecting the other parts of the body. Let's make sure that we know that what we do here is not about us. And we should never come in here. We should never come through the doors outside 
was I stopping at the door first and saying, when I walk in here, this is all about Christ, and it's not about me. This is a body, and I will do everything I can when I'm in this place to promote the health and joy and purity and encouragement of this body. Don't come in here like you go to the cinema. As an individual that can come and go, you come in here and you must be very concerned about all of the other body parts. May God help us all uh, to do that uh, to his uh, glory.